Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. For freedom that nearly 250 years ago gave birth to a special place called America. It was a small cluster of colonies caught between a great ocean and a vast wilderness. It was home to an incredible people with a revolutionary idea that they could rule themselves, that they could chart their own destiny, and that together they could light up the entire world. I'm Janet Marana, Executive Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to our program. Of course, I'm joined here by our National Director, Father Frank Pavone. And of course, all everyone, Father, is talking about the Alito Memo document leak. Everyone, all the everybody. media outlets, Christian, you know, secular, we've, everybody. We've been in this for over 30 years, and we've, we've prayed and, and begged for the kind of media abortion is getting right now. That's right. Every place we go, I mean, you turn on the news right now, it's the lead story right off the bat. What's going on with the abortion battle? The other side is becoming totally unhinged. They're going to have a summer of rage. Uh, they're picketing the justices' houses. I mean, we have never had this kind of coverage. And I find, Father, like this past Sunday at church services, I had different people coming up to me, giving me all kinds of questions. So it, it's like it's on everyone's mind. But now is where we have to get our talking points down straight because so many people don't understand what does this mean if right, Roe v. Wade right, is right, overturned. Right. This, right. Is the, this is the document that was leaked or confirmed as authentic uh, draft opinion uh, by Justice Alito. Right. The um, opinion of the court, so obviously a majority opinion, completely reversing Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, right. which had reaffirmed so, Roe. So, let's, so that's... Let's just explain to everybody, how did we get to this point? We had the uh, Mississippi law, right, which is a gestational age act, right? Right. And that's what the abortion industry was fighting or taking to court, not to try to stop that law from coming into being. And it made its way all the way up through the court to the Supreme Court. So uh, overturning where we wave was not the first premise by which this case came That's forward. right. Initially... The Of course, the pro-abortion people always do this. They always try to block right. or challenge the enforcement of pro-life laws that get passed by the states. Now, now, here's an interesting point people should keep in mind. The court cannot wipe a law off the books. That's for the legislature to do. The court simply tells the state you can't enforce it because it's not consistent with the Constitution. The courts are always looking at two sets of laws. The statutes that the legislatures make, right, and constitutional law, constitutional provisions, whether they are the state constitution or the, the federal constitution. And uh, uh, so, so all the courts can say is, well, this law is or isn't consistent with the constitutional law, which has to prevail, it's higher, right. and uh, block the enforcement of it if they think it's inconsistent. So what the pro boards always do is they try to block these laws by going to the courts. In the, the case of the Mississippi law, first of all, let's talk about what it did. From 15 weeks measured gestationally from last menstrual period, 15 weeks into the pregnancy, 
the uh, the law says after that point you can't have you an can't abortion. have a divorce right. right so the courts have always said over these last fifty years you know you can you can prohibit abortion in the last portion of the pregnancy after viability that is as long as um, uh, but not before so so what's happening is the Mississippi was challenging that. Say right. we are going to protect the babies before viability. Fifteen right. weeks was again the the line that the legislature drew. And again, keep in mind for further discussion: this business of line making, line drawing, policy making—that's a legislative kind of activity, not judicial. Not judicial, right? So they drew the line. Pro-abortion people challenged it in court. Now the lawmakers, whom we know, whom we honored, right in right. in Washington from back in January right. from Mississippi. They had their reasons for passing this law. They said, look, you know, there's been a lot of changes in science, for example. Right. These babies can feel pain. These babies are, are, I mean. Well, and they operate on the unborn child. Right. Also, I mean, like, for example, I remember, like, one, one illness that they can really improve on is spina bifida. Mm -hmm. When it's diagnosed at about 15 weeks, then they can schedule that unborn child for surgery where they can repair that hole. Uh, that the child will not end up with severe uh, problems to walk or stand, mm -hmm. and it's become quite successful. They do a lot of different surgeries on the unborn, but they, 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 the lawmakers had reasons for protecting uh, the baby, protecting the moms from the harmful effects of abortion. Right, because the second uh, trimester abortion, Father, as we know, uh, after 15 weeks is more complicated. It's a it's a D&E procedure where the baby is literally pulled dismemberment. out. Dismemberment. Uh, which is horrific and painful for the child, stopping its heart and everything else. But for the mother, it, it, it's more complicated. We know from listening to the doctors and the testimonies of women, there's a risk of a perforated uterus, damage to the cervix. It's, it's, the list goes on and on. Uh, and so many of those procedures, they have sometimes left parts of the baby inside the mother, yeah. and then she ends up with a terrible infection that could be a cause of death even. Well, with the dismemberment, <clears throat> You also have sharp bone fragments being pulled through the birth canal. Right. I mean, the risk of of, of laceration, perf perforation is very, very real. The, the later these procedures are done, the more dangerous they become. Right. Okay. And Mississippi laid that out. The legislators, you know, when you pass a law, the, the, the lawmaking body has findings, as they call them. Right. We had hearings. We brought in experts. We listened to them. We found... A, B, C, D to be true, right? And well, the, the lawmakers... Right. The risk to the mother increases. Right. Lawmakers are equipped to, to, to do the, that kind of fact-finding and to make those kinds of determinations. Even if there are medical uncertainties or differences of opinion in the medical community, the legislatures can still draw those lines. So you think about line drawing and policy making. That's the, that's the role of the legislature. So Mississippi did its work, Okay. And um, the Supreme Court, well, granted them. To yeah, but hear let the me case. tell you what happened in the lower courts first. The lower court, the district court. Uh, remember, the federal courts are district court, then appellate court, and then Supreme Court. Right. right. So, the district court threw out the the the, the, the law. They, they again blocking its enforcement. Right. They can't take it off the books. Why did they do that? Only based on one question. They didn't look at all this scientific evidence. They didn't listen to the question of the danger to the mother. They didn't l listen to what the legislators were saying about how this, these late-term procedures uh, ruin the reputation of the medical profession. I, 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 none of these things. 
they said one question, is it before viability that this law is prohibiting abortion? Is it before viability? Well, the answer to that, everybody agrees with, of course, Yes. 15 weeks. They said, okay, that's all we need to hear. Can't enforce the law. Now, that was a lazy, narrow, ignorant way of doing this. But then Mississippi took it to the next level, right? Yeah, they challenged it. Unfortunately, the appellate court upheld the district court's decision. And then they appealed to the Supreme Court. And this is where a year ago, in fact, it was May 17th, okay, of 2021. Right. Uh, the Supreme Court announced that they would take the case. Now, this was at this law had been passed in 2018. Wow. So it was percolate. It usually takes yeah. a couple of years to percolate up through the courts. But this one took an especially long time for the Supreme Court to decide one way or the other. In other words, they submit these cases, the justices meet, and they decide, yeah, we're going to take this case. No, we're not, right? This one remained in limbo for a long time. They met, like there was a couple of dozen times, they had the opportunity to say, we're going to take it. And they, they, they didn't say no, but they didn't say yes. So they were looking at this for a long time, okay? And then they finally announced on May the 17th uh, of 2021, that they would. We're going to take this and we're going to answer one question. Now, the, you notice the way that they posed this question was not simply whether Mississippi's Gestational Age Act violates the Constitution. They could have framed it that way and narrowed the question down to just Mississippi's Gestational Age Act. But here's how they framed the question. And this from the beginning gave us a tremendous amount of confidence. They said, we're going to answer the question whether all pre-viability bans, though, so bans on abortion prior to 24, 23, 22 weeks, are <coughs> on elective abortion, elective abortion, okay, so not questions of, you know, life of the mother or anything like that, just elective abortions, whether all pre-viability bans on elective abortions are unconstitutional. Right. Now, the reason we were encouraged by that is that that goes right to the core of, Ro of Roe v. Wade and right. Planned Parenthood versus Casey because they established this viability standard, this boundary, right. saying you can't protect babies in the womb before viability. It's like, why not? There's nothing in the Constitution about that. Here's the Constitution. It's not here, right? right. It's not right. Very, it doesn't take very long to read this, by the way. So, um, and of course, you know, the unborn child's heart starts beating at about 28 days after conception. So that's, you know, we all use a beating heart. Like if father, God forbid you passed out in front of me right now, what's the first thing I do? I, I feel for your pulse. Right. So, so that's, that's a life or death decision. If, if you hear a, a pulse or beating heart, they're alive. Baby's alive at 28 days after conception. You know, the, the, um, so, so this was a very encouraging way that they that they put this because then all private pre viability events, it's hard to imagine the court saying yes to that question. In other words, oh yeah, they're all unconstitutional. Yeah, there's no way you can protect the baby before viability. In other words, the very way they framed the question suggested to us that they were going to say no as the answer, right? Because they framed it in such a well, broad that means way. Then all these heartbeat bills, and some of them are still being held up. You know, mm -hmm. they haven't been put in action Waiting yet. for waiting. Waiting for the and Dobbs decision. of course, we decision. have the Texas yeah. law that's in place, but not quite. It's like everyone's waiting with bated breath to yeah. see now. There's a lot of laws then that hinge on that question. Exactly. And in the case of a no answer, then, of course, the question is, well, what does the Supreme Court do after that? So then, as you were saying, 
to continue with the history of this. After the, the, the Supreme Court accepted the case, Mississippi, of course, was uh, in a position to present to the court their, their petition, right? They, 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 so first there's the petition to the court to take the case. Right. If they say yes, then you send a petition to make your argument. Right. Okay. When Mississippi sent their petition to make their argument, they, asked they said, you know what? Yeah, because any see any abortion related decision by the court is ultimately based on Roe. Right. Because Roe was, as we know, the 1973 case that changed abortion policy and made it made it unconstitutional to ban abortion, at least prior to viability. And it, like every decision since then, not just on whether to ban it or not, but every decision since then about even the slightest kinds of regulations on the procedure involve Roe v. Wade. Right. And, and your father, viability standard is like a moving target anyway. If you go all the way back to Roe v. Wade, when they threw in that word viability at the very end, it wasn't in the oral arguments and it wasn't in the main part of the decision. They tossed it in at the end. Well, at the time of Roe, I think viability at that time was about 28 weeks. That's right. And most science, science, scientists and doctors will agree right now we're all, all the way down about 22 weeks. Yeah. You know, it's it more like 22. 22. Yeah. Well, we'll talk more about viability as we go through the go through the uh, the, the arguments. Right. But to, but to have but that it, as a it's, standard, it's, it's not, it doesn't it's make gonna, sense. As a standard. It doesn't make sense it, because it, it keeps changing. It doesn't make sense medically, much less constitutionally. It has right. nothing to do with the Constitution. And medically, it's a moving target, like you said. It's It, it depends which way you look at it. Well, we can get into and, that and, more. You know, science keeps improving on this treatment of the unborn child anyway. Yeah. And I, I think viability, who knows, in the next few years, might be down to 21 weeks, 20 weeks. It's going to keep, gonna going, keep going, down going down yeah. as our ways of, of dealing with that unborn child uh, improves, you know? So the Supreme Court took it up, announced it on May 17th, scheduled the oral arguments for December 1st. December 1st, 1st right. Briefs in that period of time between announcing it and having the oral argument, the briefs were submitted. More briefs. Now, these briefs, of course, again, both the state of Mississippi and the abortion uh, industry that was challenging the law, they have to submit their briefs. They go respond to one another. They do a supplementary brief in response to the other person's brief. Goes back and forth. There's various documents. Okay. We have these all available at uh, SupremeCourtVictory.com, by the way. Um, and we submitted uh, a brief uh, too. But then you have the friend of the court. We were friends of the court. You have right. these friends of the court briefs, right. which are interested parties around the country and around the world who um, have uh, additional arguments that they want to make to the court. So the friends of the court submit these. We've done it in past Supreme Court decisions, of course, relating to abortion. And now we did it again. But uh, there were more briefs submitted this time in the pro-life, uh, uh, making the pro-life arguments than in any other case in the Supreme Court history. And I think, Father, what was yeah. important about our brief uh, was that we brought in the voices of the women, the voices of experience, the people who bought the law. You mean the women who've had abortions? The women who've had abortions, yes. Because so many of those women, uh, if abortion wasn't legal, they would have never considered it. That legality gave permission. And I've been talking, so many of them have been contacting me now with this whole idea that Roe might be overturned. They're getting really upset now. It's like more healing is needed because they're saying things like, oh my goodness, if it wasn't for Roe v. Wade, I'd have my baby now. Mm -hmm. 
because my mother would never have made me go have an abortion or my boyfriend or my husband. You know, they're really being shook to the core by this. And one of our, our regional coordinators out in Idaho, her name is Melissa Hempel. She had her abortion just a couple of months after Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. She was a 17 year old uh, senior in high school and her mother made her, she didn't want to have the abortion. She begged her mother not to, you know, I'll, I'll place the baby for adoption. Please don't make me kill my baby. Her mother insisted on that abortion. And Melissa just told me the other day, if it wasn't for Roe v. Wade, I would have my baby right now. Mm -hmm. My baby would be 49 years old, almost 50 years old. And she said, look at this. A couple of months after Roe v. Wade, my mother used that as an out card to save the family embarrassment. Yeah. And she yeah. said, if it, was, if it was illegal, my mother would never have suggested it. And I'd have a baby today. That's right. And she was never able then to, the next, her next pregnancy, when she later married, she ended up uh, with the miscarriage. And so she was never able to conceive a baby herself. She went on to adopt children. But it's another case where the only child she ever able to have was the one she aborted. And because of Roe v. Wade in her case. Yeah. So many of them, you know. So the uh, briefs were submitted. The oral arguments were held. When we heard the oral arguments, our confidence continued to rise because it really seemed as though we had a majority of the justices ready to uphold the Mississippi law. Right. And you can tell that, Father, right, by the, the, the questions they, they ask, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's during it's, the arguments, it's, right? It's, it's difficult to sometimes to read mm -hmm. what direction they're going in. Um, so, yeah, one has to proceed with great caution. But it was pretty clear uh, how they were thinking with these particular oral arguments. It was pretty clear that we had a, 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 a good six justices ready to uphold the Mississippi, Mississippi. law. It only takes five to win because right. you've got nine justices. But uh, it looked like we had six. The further question about whether they would go so far as to reverse Roe v. Wade was in doubt. We thought we might, might maybe have five willing to reverse Roe v. Wade. The question mark was Justice Roberts because in the oral arguments, he was making that distinction. He was saying, well, you know, 15 weeks, you know, that certainly is a, a reasonable uh, limit. And he says, but you, you know, why did you go ahead and ask us to, you know, reverse Roe v. Wade? Because sometimes the court wants to take, um, uh, they don't want to take the trouble to answer a question beyond the scope of what's at issue. But right. although Mississippi made it at issue, as they, they said, we want you to reverse Roe v. Wade. So, uh, so, but, 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 but people were unsure, you know, where are they going to be willing to do that? Or will they just say we're going to uphold the Mississippi law and um, also let Roe v. Wade stay? Now, if they had, if they try to say that, which now we don't, now that we've seen this draft from Alito, which we'll talk about uh, in more detail, um, it, 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 this shows that there is a majority willing to get rid of Roe. But if you were to say let's uphold the Mississippi law, but also uphold Roe, you can't do that without very, very, very significantly changing Roe, because at the core of Roe is this viability line. Right. So it's like, why are you going to con what, what part of Roe then are you going to continue to uphold? You're going to continue to say that there's some kind of constitutional right to an abortion. Where? I mean, it's one of the key the one of the key arguments that we and all the other friends of the court and Mississippi we're making to the court is that it's, it's not in the constitution. Of course, we make this argument in every abortion case. Where are you getting this so-called right to abortion? Where are you getting it? 
It's not again. Here it is. Here's the here's the Constitution. It's not there. It's not here. Yeah. You know. So again, that's in that like the question before about you know is this ban pre viability? You know, the question of whether this ban is pre viability. The question of whether the whether abortion is in the the text of the Constitution. It, 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 there's are indisputable. These are indisputable points. Okay. Right. There's there's no there's no question. Okay. So then this leaks out. Well, now, and, and just stop there for a minute, Father. A document leaking out from inside the Supreme unheard Court. Unheard of. Unheard is of. Totally unheard of since the Supreme Court was Even that there would be one sentence right. from, a, from a draft opinion leaking That's unheard out. of. That was unheard of, too. And, and what, what people should be upset right now, and I've been saying this, Father, I don't care if you're pro-abortion or pro-life. Every American should be upset about the leak well, because they it should. undermines the, the ability of the justices and their staff yeah. to work in this atmosphere of confidentiality. Yes. It's been broken. Y and you until know, you, they you, find you, out how the leak happened and where it came from, everyone's got to feel a little bit uneasy right now working with each other because you, your trust yeah. has been broken. You can't break the confidentiality no. of the court. Uh, there's not that many people who would have had access to this. Well, that's the thing. There's like, well, there's nine, the nine justices, justices and each of them have four, four clerks. Four, so four, nine times four, four. 36 yeah, yeah, plus yeah, nine. 45 people. 45. Um, most likely, and Senator Cruz brought this up recently in, in, a, in a hearing, most likely we're talking about a pool of 12 people. That is the four law clerks of each of the three liberal justices. And the justices uh, themselves. The left wing. The left I wing. would say 15. I did the three liberal mm -hmm. justices too. Uh, now, having said all this, I must say that the overwhelming emotion, however, was joy and jubilation at actually reading what was leaked. You know, right. You're going to be upset at the fact that it was leaked, that it shouldn't have been done. The leaker needs to be punished. We need to maintain the right. security of the court. But my goodness, they released a, a, a victory here for us. A big victory. Because what this opinion does, not only upholds the Mississippi law, it reverses and it obliterates from the judicial landscape Roe v. Wade and also Planned Parenthood versus Casey. So, uh, so exactly, Father, because I know you've read this in detail. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Give me an example. How does it do that? Okay. Well, let's, <laughs> let's, let's walk through it. He starts, of course, by... Um, saying abortion is not in the Constitution, and he reviews what we already just discussed, the, what Mississippi did, why they did it, uh, how it went up through the courts, uh, what the lower courts decided, and that it was accepted by the Supreme Court. So I, I mean, every decision is going to do that. They're going to review, first of all, the history. Then let's go, we're going to go, and we're going to have a part two of this discussion, of course, but, but going through the... Um, uh, steps that he makes, the points that he makes one by one. Uh, the law in Mississippi itself then, and its history, again, we discussed it already, he goes through. Then he asks the following main question. Uh, he has a few main questions in the, in, the, in the opinion. But does the Constitution confer a right to an abortion? That's the first question he looks at in great detail. Does this document, but this is founding law in, in the United States, together with the Declaration of Independence, right? These are the two founding documents. Does it confer a right to an abortion? Because that was the claim of Roe v. Wade in Planned Parenthood versus Casey. That's the claim 
of the abortion supporters well, ever yeah, since. Yeah, they're saying that there is yes. a right okay. to So just where? as Alito says, where and how does it do that? Now, he makes an interesting point. Planned Parenthood versus Casey. We have to understand Casey to understand this whole decision. Casey came in 1992. We hadn't met yet. All right, I was a parish priest, however, and I was very involved in the pro-life uh, movement. And uh, we thought at that time that that decision was going to reverse Roe v. Wade. It looked like we might be close to reversing Roe v. Wade. That was about Pennsylvania having passed some regulations on abortion, not even prohibitions. And the court was going to decide whether they were okay. It involved parental, uh, parental involvement and, and some other requirements, record keeping. And, 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 and the court actually upheld four out of five of these regulations uh, that Pennsylvania had passed. But the underlying question, like we said before, any case relating to abortion is resting on Roe v. Wade. Okay, right. So the court could take the opportunity, if it wants, to reverse Roe with any of these cases. And it looks like they almost did in Planned Parenthood versus Casey. But they ended up not doing that. Roe was left intact. But they did change it quite a bit. They changed it quite a bit because apparently, if you read Casey carefully, a good number of the justices didn't really agree that Roe v. Wade was well argued or even constitutionally based. So they actually didn't answer this question. This is, this is strange, right? Because they upheld Roe, but they didn't address the question, does the Constitution confer a right to an abortion? They actually didn't answer that question. They skipped over it. So you might say, well, then if they skipped over it, how did they, you know, uphold Roe? Stare decisis. They upheld Roe by this doctrine of stare decisis, which means, it's two Latin words, which basically mean we're going to stick with what we decided before. Right. It's like precedent. Precedent. Right. Precedent means a case on the same issue you're talking about now that was decided earlier. We're going to let it stay. And let the, it stay. It's the, a let it stay argument, which right. is really not much of an argument. I mean, there's a purpose for precedent. There's a purpose for stare decisis. You know you're, where you're going. In other words, it's a consistent development of, of policy, of, of jurisprudence, as it's called, the approach the court takes to an issue. Predictability, it brings predictability because other courts have to deal with the same issue, right, in different disputes that arise. Right. And, 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 and so you want some kind of predictable course of, of development of the law. And so if you're always changing, you don't have that, right? But this deals with a very, very fundamental matter of life and death. So you've got to get it right. So um, but Casey skipped over the get it right part and says, well, you know, we've had this for a long time and we don't think it's it's time to well, uh, jettison it. But we're going to, but they changed it a lot though. But you know, Father, you have to think in 1992, you know, you and I at that point, uh, we were involved at the parish level. It was right before you got involved with Priests for Life. And we continued our work together. But think back to 1992. Abortion was rampant in the country. Some of the highest statistics. Yes, we had reached the peak, yeah, 1.6 million a year. So, so I think also the justices were saying, well, women have come to rely on abortion. You know what I mean? Like it was just happening so frequently. I think it was over 4,000 babies at that point a day mm -hmm. was the figure. I mean, it was just a reliance on abortion so much. The number of abortion mills in the country was, uh, I think it was, what, about 900? 
they at that point were outnumbering more of the pregnancy centers. We were in a very different um, atmosphere in 1992. And I think that's mm -hmm. probably why they did the story decisis, like let it alone mm -hmm. because of the atmosphere in the country. You know, there weren't, um, you know, right now the abortion uh, clinics have really, really gone down. Oh, yeah. And they outnumber, I mean, the pregnancy, the pregnancy centers, four to one. Yeah. Preg there's for every four pregnancy centers, there's only one abortion. Now, at that time, it was practically the, was reverse, the reverse of that yes. at, at the time of Casey. Yeah. So you didn't, you know, it, things were very different from many different angles. Right. So they said, you know what, we're going to let this stay for now. Right. right. Even though, again, the opinion changed it radically. They changed things right. about Roe. They rejected some of the argumentations. It was almost like they were embarrassed by the argumentation of Roe because they didn't reaffirm the arguments. Like Roe has a very, very, we're going to get into this as we delve into this in further episodes. Uh, Roe had a very, very unprofessional history analysis. Mm -hmm. Casey didn't even bother to repeat it. Right. Okay. They had very bad constitutional reasons. Casey didn't endorse it. And then they did legislative work. Remember, we said before the reason I wanted to emphasize that line drawing. Uh, is the job of the legislature. Well, Roe drew a lot of lines as far as what the state could do about abortion at different stages of pregnancy. Again, where did all these lines come from? Nowhere in the Constitution. Right. So the court wasn't judging the applicability of a law vis-a-vis -vis the Constitution. They were legislating. So they, they, they created this framework. And it's like when, when, when Casey came along, they actually did away with that. Yeah. They did away with the, the, the you know, Roe divided the pregnancy into the three trimesters. Right. You know, and we'll get into this more. The state could do certain things in the first, second, third trimester. Casey didn't go along with that. They changed it. They brought in a new standard, which ended up being just as unconstitutional and confusing. This new opinion gets rid of that standard, too. But they, the, fa the fact that they made so many changes in Roe goes to show that Roe was already crumbling. Yeah. Okay. And the court acknowledged that. Uh, by what it did in Casey. So Alito, again, in the first part of this whole thing, he addresses that question, does the Constitution establish uh, a right to abortion? And in short, make a long story short, and we'll talk more he next says time. No. He says no. Exactly. He says no. It does not establish. Well, you know, Father, thank you for uh, this first delving into this. And yeah. I'm sure everyone appreciates it. We're going to have a subsequent part two discussion. Yeah. Uh, and for our viewers, you just need to go to SupremeCourtVictory.com. The latest information and father's analysis and everything else is always there. Uh, so just go to SupremeCourtVictory.com. Until next time, this is Janet Morena, Executive Director of Priests for Life, and Father Frank Pavone, our National Director. Let's continue to pray for our victory. Thank you. I think we have Richard Lee, we have uh, Jim Garlow, and we have Father Frank Pavone. Someplace there in the audience, so I appreciate you. I appreciate you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.